Well, welcome to New Life. How is everybody doing today? You love Jesus? Come on, give it up for him. Yeah. There's nothing better than living a life serving Jesus. Do you agree with that? So glad that you're here, everybody, here at Kearney, worshiping with us online at our North Platte campus, Ogallala campus, wherever you are. Welcome to church. My name's Chris, and I get the honor of sharing God's word with you today in our current teaching series, Never Alone. And at all of our locations and online, even if you're all by yourself, I want you to raise your hand if you've ever in your life faced a trial where it made you feel like you were alone. Come on, raise your hand and just, if you're in a room, take a look around. Take a look around. Keep your hands lifted. All right. Yeah. We've all been in seasons in our life where three words that we could describe God in those seasons is absent, apathetic, or late. Now, some of you feel very nervous about ascribing those words to God. But if you were honest, those of you who raised your hands, you probably had one of those feelings inside of your life when you're going through something where, you're, where God was absent, apathetic, or late. And we're going to talk about that today. And I believe that God is going to show up in your life in a powerful way. And he is going to make a difference in your life. How many believe that to be true today? That God is the God of miracles. He's the God to restore lives. And it was reminding me of this time when I was in Arizona and I was a pastor there and I preached this message and it was really amazing message. It was the best message I've ever preached, just like today is going to be. And uh, no, no, it went over well. No one fell asleep. And afterwards, afterwards, this man came up to me and he said, he said, Pastor Chris, would you pray for my hearing? And man, I was fired up, had full of faith. And I put my hands on his ears and I prayed, God, you are able to raise the dead. You're able to open blind eyes. Come on, anybody feeling it with me? You just have the faith to believe God for miracles. And I, I was praying for him a passionate prayer. And I said, amen. And then I said, how's your hearing? And he said, well, it's not until tomorrow. <laughs> but let me just tell you, his hearing was perfect when I left him that day. It was awesome. God showed up. And I believe God's going to show up today. If you are going through something, maybe you're facing a hearing this week. Maybe you're going through a trial. You feel persecuted. You feel down and out. And the, the words you might describe God with are absent, that where, God, where are you? Or he's apathetic, like, God, do you even care what I'm going through? Or he's late and he's not syncing up with your timing. And I had you raise your hands a few minutes ago because when we go through trials and when we feel that way about God, that he's absent, he's apathetic or late, it seems to us like we are the only one, right? And you know what makes it harder? I make it harder on you. Preachers tend to make it harder, don't they? Because in 30 minutes, we make it seem so easy, right? And then if God is absent, apathetic, or late, uh, somebody at church will tell you, well, you just need to have more faith. You just need to pray harder. You just need to stop sinning, right? In other words, God is absent, apathetic, or late because it's all your fault, right? And, and then you look at people and it seems like, there's other people that life is working out so well for them, right? They're, they have a job, they have a great marriage, their kids behave, right? I mean, everything is good. And they're not even going to, they're not even Christians. I mean, they don't even go to church. They're not even good people. I mean, you're better people than them and life is working out for them and it seems to accentuate 
the fact that God is absent, apathetic, or late, and it can actually be very infuriating and cause some doubt to creep into your life. And then maybe you have that Christian friend, and they pray for everything, and it seems like everything they pray for God, you know, it happens. Like they, they're, they're in the parking lot, and they're praying, God, give me a parking spot. Have you ever been driving through the parking lot? No, there's no parking. And they say, God, give me the parking spot. And all of a sudden, the heavens open. You know, the, the sunbeams shoot down from the heavens, and that, that front parking spot just opens up right as they're coming. And you're like, are you kidding me? Maybe for you, it's something like you've always wanted to have a child and you can't conceive and you're praying, God, would you give us this dream, this, this desire of our heart? And you see other people that go through the same thing and they pray and you hear the stories of a miracle and instead of inspiring your faith, it shrinks your world down to what is wrong with me and God, you must be absent, apathetic or late. So what do you do when it seems like God is all of that? Because after a while you begin to think that if God is silent, then he must be absent and I'm all alone in this. If God is not answering my prayer, then maybe there really isn't a God, or if there is a God, he doesn't care about me, he's apathetic to my needs. In other words, I'm all alone in my trial, in my suffering, in my persecution. And so I want to tell you about a story about this man in the Bible. God loved him, God knew his, his name, and yet he went through a season when he felt like God was being absent, apathetic, or late in his life. And here's my hope for this message today, that all of us would leave here with an understanding and a belief that we're going to go through seasons where it seems to us like God is absent, apathetic, or late, but we can still maintain our faith in those seasons because God is not absent, he is never apathetic, and he is never, ever late. So this story, he begins with a man named Herod the Great. How many have ever heard of Herod the Great? At all of our locations, Herod the Great, you've heard about that guy. He was great, not because he was a great guy, but because he was a great builder. And he was the king of Israel. Rome had installed him as, as king of Israel. He wasn't Jewish, but Rome was in control, so they put him, him there. And he's a bad dude. I mean, he murdered uh, two of his wives. He killed three of his sons and one mother-in-law. I mean, this is a bad guy, a bad king. Caesar Augustus says it's better to be one of Herod's swine or pigs than one of his sons. So it's this kind of guy, this bad guy. And so he dies and Rome comes in and they decide to split up the kingdom because this guy had too much power. So we're going to split it up. And they split it up between two of his sons. And so Herod Archelaus got Judea and Samaria to the south, and the, the other son, Herod Antipas, got the northern kingdom in Galilee. They had a third son, important to the story. His name was Herod Philip, and he got nothing, but he was very, very rich and wealthy. And so the other character in this story is Herod Philip, the son who didn't get anything, his wife. Her name is Herodias. Everybody tracking with me so far? It's going to get complicated, and then it's going to get easy, all right? So Herodias... And she married that, uh, that son that didn't get anything, Herod Philip. 
and they had a daughter named Salome. So you have Herodias, Herod Philip, and then they have this daughter named Salome. All these people are important to the story. And here's where the story gets very reality TV on us. It's crazy, all right? One day, uh, one of the, the Herod who had Herodias, he said to his brother, he, he goes to his brother's house, Herod Philip, and he says to his wife, he's alone with his brother's wife, and he says, baby, you're hot and I'm hot. I love you. And she says, well, honey, I love you too. And so they run off together. She divorces her husband, and they, they uh, get married, and it's this big scandal, all right? It's crazy what's going on. And so they, she moves in with her brother's or her husband's brother now, and they live in this beautiful city that he had built. Life is great. Everything's going well. And then this new character comes, comes on the scene. You might be familiar with his name. His name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had a very famous cousin. Does anybody know who his cousin was? Jesus, right? And that's very important to the story as well. And John the Baptist was this guy. He, he's the man after my own heart. He is a guy that liked just being out, out in the wilderness. And uh, he was afraid of nobody. He was a hero to the people. He was this man of God. He's the cousin of Jesus, and he comes into the story. And now Herodias, remember the lady that left her husband to go marry the brother? Uh, what Herodias did was against Jewish law, and even though the Herods weren't Jews, it infuriated, I mean, it, it, it offended the Jews. And so John the Baptist, he's, he's dealing with this issue, even talking to her husband, that what you're doing is sinful, and he's preaching out against their sin. So Herodias hates John the Baptist. I mean, she hates him, wants him dead, and that's the setup. That's just the setup to the story. I mean, it's pretty exciting. What's going to happen, right? It's so good. I love the Bible. So let's go to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to get to the conflict in verse 17. And by the way, this story is found in Matthew and Mark in the Gospels. And it says, Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. And he did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but he was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. And when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked Listen to him. So here's John the Baptist, man of God, and now he's in prison. And you're going to see he's going to start to feel all alone. Now back up in the story of John the Baptist, who is he? Not only is he the cousin of Jesus, but he was called by God to prepare the way or prepare the people that the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior was coming that would end up being Jesus. So he kind of came and he began to preach and he was baptizing people, baptizing them to repent of their sins. And one day John's out baptizing in the Jordan River and Jesus walks up and John says, time out, guys, this is, this is the one I've been telling you about. There he is. There he is. He is the Christ. And he said to his disciples, hey, stop following me and start following him, right? So he recognizes Jesus as the son of God, the Christ, and and he's doing the work of God. And now he finds himself in prison for being a man of God. And I tell you, that whole story, the reason is not just to confuse you, but to tell you that if anybody ever deserved a miracle, it's this guy. 
It's this guy, but here he is stuck in prison day after day after day. And now he knows what Jesus is doing outside of prison. Jesus is going around, he's healing people. I mean, he's raising the dead. Like he's healing, actually healing people's hearing, not like me, right? He is, he's doing miracles outside of the prison and casting out demons, talking to women in public, all kinds of great things. And he was doing these things for strangers. And he wasn't doing anything for his own cousin, and John starts to not feel the love anymore, right, from his cousin. And he began to have second thoughts about Jesus in the middle of his pain. And he said to his friends, I need you, I need you to get a, a message to Jesus. And we find it in Matthew 11, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, and I bet his disciples did a, did a double take right here at this. He says, Ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Like, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are, are you really the one or should we actually be expecting someone else? And if I'm one of his disciples, they've just got this assignment to go ask Jesus this. I'm thinking, John, you're the one who told us that he's the one, right? And John says, yeah, I, this is not in the Bible. This is my conjecture. Yeah, I know, but... I'm having second thoughts. But John, aren't you hearing everything that's happening outside this prison? People are getting healed. He's like, yeah, but I, I know, but I just need some reassurance. I need to know. Isn't it interesting that when our circumstances change, it can impact our confidence in God, right? Somehow God appears different because our circumstances have become different and we respond like John. We say, God, I need to know that everything that I believed in, all I put my faith and trust in, I need to know that it was not a lie because, God, it's just not working for me right now. You know, there's, a, there's an amount of pain, especially physical pain, but all kinds of pain, emotional pain, that makes it nearly impossible to care for anybody else but yourself. And the nature of pain is that it can shrink, it can shrink us to the size of our circumstance and everything and our perception just kind of shrinks down. So here is John and all he can see is how, is, is how the world is no bigger anymore than his jail cell. He can't see beyond that and begins to doubt. And, and I think his doubt makes Jesus' response so amazing and incredibly relevant to us today, Jesus, his disciples come to ask him the question, Jesus, um, this is embarrassing, but you know your cousin, John, you knew he was in prison, right? Yeah. You know, he, he sent us to ask you, are you the one? And Jesus doesn't say, go tell him, of course I'm the one. Tell that joker, yeah, I'm the one. And Jesus also doesn't say, tell him I'm the one and I'm busting him out at midnight. This is for you and me when God seems inattentive to us. Matthew eleven four. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. I think that's relevant because John, for him, he cannot hear and see past the prison that he is in. So report to him the activity of God that you see outside of his situation. Report to John that I am at work, that I am at work. Because John is a prisoner, isn't he? He's a prisoner to what he can hear and see. So go and tell him. Go and report what I am up to. 
John's pain, though, had shrunk him down to the size of a cell, and he's beginning to doubt. And I think all of us can relate to that. We can relate to going through seasons of pain where we feel like we're alone, that God is absent, apathetic, or late, and we begin to have doubts, and they say, go and tell him what you have heard and seen. So what did they hear and see? Verse 5, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Go tell him what is happening outside. If you remember, he had already heard what the Messiah was doing, but there's something that, that happens when, when we are reminded that not just the stories we hear, that God is actually at work. And I think they're taking notes, they're about to leave, and then, and then he continues. Listen to what Jesus says. And this is key. This is like the whole message right here. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What? Go tell him what you've seen and heard, the blind, all these healings. And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not fall out, who does not backslide, who does not give up on account of me. So Jesus, you're saying that you could be doing something or not doing something that we could choose to fall away or to stumble on account of what you're doing or not doing. Yes, yeah, so, so go tell John, go tell him, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of what I have done or not done. Jesus, you, you know he's, he's in pain and he's doubting and his faith is waning. Yeah, I know and I know it's because I've left him in there. But go tell him, do not fear, encourage yourself, have faith, don't give up. And look what Jesus says about him. Because I, I, I kind of wonder if the disciples are thinking, this doesn't really make sense. Jesus, he's your cousin. What did he do like when you were young? Did he steal your Tonka toys? You know, is this revenge on your cousin? Why aren't you helping him? You're helping all these people. But look what Jesus says in response to um, who John is in verse 11 of Matthew 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, and that would be everyone, right? <laughs> there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So if you feel like, man, you're going through the trial and the pain and God must be mad at you, angry at you, look at the story of John. But Jesus, you're going to leave him in prison? Yeah, I'm going to leave him there. But tell him to hang in there. Do not lose hope. Don't lose faith. Because just because I have not chosen to bail you out of this situation. Now let me tell you why this is so important for us and it's great news. And you need to get this, maybe write this down if you're taking notes or go to the YouVersion Bible app and hit save for this. Because some of you are going to need to remind yourself of this this week. Your perception of your circumstances does not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Let me say that again and let it sink in. Your perception of your circumstances does not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. You see, like John the Baptist, if you're like me, when I'm in the valley and God seems absent or apathetic or late and I feel all alone, I can easily get into this mood of thinking that my circumstances directly relate to how God feels about me. If it's hard, if it's tough, God must be punishing me, something must be wrong with me, or God doesn't care about me. Let, let me just tell you, I've even had the temptations of those thoughts. And Jesus is saying, no, they don't. 
They do not necessarily coincide with God's feeling for you. You need to get this proof of how God feels about you was settled at the cross. Come on, I need some people that have been around church for more, a little while to get, get with me on this. Proof of how God feels about you was settled when he went to the cross and he gave up his life to save you and rescue you from your sin. Amen? Yeah. At all of our locations, God, God loves you. He sent his son on a rescue mission to rescue you from your sin, to save you, to restore you. You are never alone if you're a child of God. Outside of this message, you can choose to be alone. You can tell God to talk to the hand. I mean, that was cool back when I was a youth pastor. I shouldn't have used that. You can tell God, God, I'm doing this myself. But as a follower of Christ, you don't ever have to embrace the feeling that God is absent, apathetic, or late because he is never absent. He always cares and he's always right on time. So what do you do when it seems, though, that God is absent, apathetic, or late? And I believe what Jesus would tell us today would be somewhat what I see him telling John. To look around you and see the goodness of God. How do you do that? Well, one of the ways that you can do that is look back. If you have history with God or your parents have history with God, look back and remember the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. Look outside your prison. Get a grander vision. Allow God to expand your vision that there's a bigger picture, there's some bigger plan that he is working, that in all of it he's working all things for your good. Remember the difficult times in your marriage? But God came through. God brought peace. God restored, or God gave you the confidence to pray. Remember when you were a teenager and you called out to God and God showed up in a powerful way in your life and turned everything around and your life was never the same? That's my story. All of that is real and it's true. God is faithful. So look outside your prison cell, John. Don't give up, John. Don't stumble. Don't fall away just because I'm not rescuing out of you out of your situation. And some of you who don't know this story are maybe waiting for this punchline that all of a sudden John got out of jail. But it didn't end so well in our perspective for John. It ended very well in the heavenly perspective for John. Herod has a birthday. And remember Herodias, I'm bringing her back to the story. She had the daughter Salome. And daughter, the daughter Salome dances for all these, these men. And they're drunk. And so the king says that he will give her whatever she asks for. I don't know, he's thinking she's going to ask for AirPods or Billie Eilish tickets, you know, whatever a teenage girl wants. But she does what no teenage girl does. She goes and asks her mom what she should ask for. Remember her mom hates John the Baptist and she said, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so the beheaded, the cousin of Jesus, brought him out of his cell and killed him. Not too long later, some very evil men set up Jesus, arrested him, and crucified him. And God does nothing to stop it. Think about that. And God did not move one inch off center of his throne in all of it. Because even when it seems that God is distant He's uninvolved, he doesn't care, he's far away, or his timing is way off. God was right where, and he always will be right where he needs to be and where we need him to be. 
Events happen just the way that God ordained them to happen for Jesus and for John the Baptist. So Jesus himself, you know, he went to the cross and died for your sins. And right before that, he was praying and he said, Father, if there's any way other than the cross, you know, can there, can there be another way? And the father said, no, this is my plan. And he went to the cross and died. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. We're still celebrating it. See, there's a bigger plan that we don't see in the middle of our circumstances. Lives are being radically changed. And I believe today at all of our locations and online, there are people that today your life is going to take a 180 turn because of what Jesus did on the cross. And what man would say is, is abandonment will provide salvation for many. And it's going to happen today in some of your lives. And when God seems silent, he seems like he doesn't care. His timing seems off. You can take faith, take courage. Remember what God has done in your life. Look around. If you can't see, you need to get around people that can help you see the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, walking with you in the middle of your storm. Now, here's the best part. I think that the interaction between Jesus and those disciples who came and brought him the message, and Jesus is now sending them back to give John the message. I believe in that there's a secret message to every single one of us here in 2021. To every believer in every century. Here it is. The verse, it says, blessed is anyone. Guess what? You're anyone. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're anyone. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble, who does not give up hope. Blessed is anyone who does not give up on account of me. So, so what's the point? What does blessed mean? Blessed means you're blessed by God, that God sees you, that God is with you, that you are never alone. Blessed are you if you don't give up, don't lose faith, don't lose hope. Even when it seems like God hasn't done anything for you lately, your focus is too narrow. You need to broaden your, your focus and see the goodness of God. He knows your circumstance. He knew their circumstance. He knew right where John was. And there's a promise that at the end of your trial, if you will remain faithful, if you will not give up, just because Jesus hasn't done anything for you lately, in spite of the fact that nothing is changing, in spite of the fact that it doesn't seem like your kids are coming back to the Lord, and man, you're wrestling with that, or there's struggles at work or in your relationships, and you're praying and you're fighting, and you feel like just giving up in spite of all of that, God looks through time and he says, I see your frustration I see that you're on the verge of giving up, but don't give up because there's a blessing if you don't give up. Don't give up. Blessed are you when you do not stumble on account of me. You are never alone. God is faithful. If you're going through a trial or circumstance, God is faithful. He is going to see you through. If you're not walking in a relationship with Jesus today, let me just tell you, you are walking alone. You might have people all around you. God might be calling out to you. But you are alone. 
leading your life. And today is the day to surrender to Jesus and allow him to become the Lord and leader of your life. And he promises that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he will walk with you, that he'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And even though your circumstances will tempt you and your mind, your own soul will try to convince you that he is absent, he is apathetic or late, and you're going to go through those seasons you can fight through and reach, reach on and hang on to the truth that he is with you, that he is faithful. And even though he's not changing the circumstances the way I want him to, he's not imposing on my life in the way that I'm asked him to, that he is faithful, that he sees the bigger picture. He's doing something in me. He's working out perseverance. He's developing my faith. He's refining me. And my life can be lived for his glory as I live this circumstance with faith and trust in him. Would you stand with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is living and is active. Your word says that it cuts through to the heart of the matter. Thank you that you're faithful. Today I pray for my friends that are at any one of our locations or who are worshiping online. And today is their day to step into relationship with you, to surrender to you. I pray that before, before they log off, before they leave an auditorium, that they will do business with you. They'll place their faith and trust in you. Faith that you are the author of and you promised you will perfect that faith for the rest of their life. And I pray for my friends that are going through a trial, suffering, maybe even persecution. Ah, oh, that they would not lose hope. That you would encourage their faith. You would strengthen their faith. And I pray for my friends that they're not going through a trial or persecution and yet today you're giving them perspective on the past and what they've walked through. God, do your work in this moment as we respond to you. Customize the words that people heard today to every situation, every life, every individual. Change us. Make us more like you. We'll worship you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.